I want to give people permission to make changes in small ways that add up over time that fit in with their life because we also can't change our entire routine and the demands of our lives, right? Many of us have work, we have partners, we have friends, we have families. So this idea of starting small where we're at, I think is really powerful. Welcome to Ask, a podcast where we're asking, how do I get the most out of everything that I care about? And how do I contribute in a way that makes a difference? I'm Michael L. Sesser, and today we're spending time with Tina Essmaker, a New York-based writer and coach. Tina has navigated a career and life change with a lot of grace and has found a way to bring coaching to creative professionals. You can read her columns at 99U and Working Not Working, and I'm really happy to say that Tina is somebody that I can count on as a friend. Tina, thanks for joining us on Ask. Absolutely. Happy to be here. You've been a social worker an organizer, an advocate for the independent creative professionals, and now you're a coach. And there's like this real servant heart that runs through all of that. What's your like 30 second or 60 second explainer of how you got to where you are today? Mm, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I have always cared for people and I've always been creative and I've been striving to find a way to combine the two for 38 years now. And I finally feel like I've been able to do that through coaching and writing. When you were leaving publishing, you had so many different places that you could have gone. Why did you wind up choosing coaching? Mm, Well, I honestly felt like I was only qualified to do two things, which was social work, which was what I did before publishing and what I have a degree in. And then publishing, which I learned my way into and garnered the skills through experience. So I actually thought I was not hireable. I thought that, you know, my career could potentially be over. And a friend suggested I take a gap year in that I just explore what could be next. Don't put pressure on myself. Decide what my budget is. You know, what's my monthly need? find a way to meet that and then just see what happens. And I thought, you know what? He's right. I don't have to make any big decisions right now. There are some things on the table that I could do, but I didn't feel like anything was resonating with me. And I I even did an interview for a job that looked great on paper. And I ultimately declined after a few rounds of negotiations, Uh, not because I had something better to say yes to, but because it just didn't In my gut, I knew it wasn't the right path for me. And coaching came up later as I started to explore and talk to people and think about how I could combine all of my skills and interests that seemed somewhat disconnected, right? Social work and publishing and nonprofit world and creative community. And how do you combine all these interests? And and then I came to this realization that, oh, hey, maybe I could be a coach for the creative community. So how do you describe your client base, Tina? I mean, uh, the creative community is a very, very broad catch-all term. First of all, I think we're all creative, and I define creativity in very broad strokes. I think that taking a creative path means doing anything that's non-traditional that doesn't have a template for how you get there. So, for example, a doctor or a lawyer, that's pretty clear the steps that you need to take to become that and practice in the field, right? But there are so many professions that you know they don't have a surefire path to success or to practicing in the field. And so I worked with everyone from you know small business owners and entrepreneurs to more traditional creatives that we might think of, like visual artists. I work with photographers, writers. For me, it's about stepping back and realizing that creativity is so much more broad than we often define it. And then 
you know, looking at people who are taking these paths that are really non-traditional, that are often marked with ambiguity and a lot of imposter syndrome, right? Feeling like, am I on the right path? Can I do this? And really helping them figure out the path that resonates with them and aligns with their interests and skills and experience and resources. There's a school of thought that goes that one of the ways that we choose our vocations is that they mirror some parts of ourselves back to us. You're living a life that's not completely dissimilar from a lot of the folks that you're coaching. So I have a sense that there's a, a sort of a mirroring effect that happens for you with the people that you're serving and the people that you're contributing to because it's who you are as well. Definitely. I work with a lot of people who are in transition or want to make a change. And, you know, that happens to be my background. I've gone through a lot of transitions personally and professionally. I'm about to go through another personal transition. And so I'm always living out the work that I'm doing. It's not that I've arrived and now I'm helping people get to where I am. And one of my friends described it one time. He said, you know, Tina, the work you do, it's kind of like we are all running together through the woods and you are in front of us and you're pointing out like, Hey, watch out for that log or Hey, watch out for this or that. And that's a little bit what it feels like in that I'm going through experiences personally and professionally processing them and learning and gaining insights about myself and, you know, us as people. And then that gets filtered into my practice on top of the, you know, of course, professional and formal training that I've had. One of the things that I admire about your work is the way that you openly embrace cycles and seasons. And, you know, like a, just as a musician would work on a new collection of songs or a, a director would have a new film, you embrace these open inquiries and you sit with them and you let them come into your work and into your coaching. Uh, you're doing a lot of work with people who are facing transitions right now. And you've created this thought basket for it called The Other Side. Could you tell us some more about that? When I was being trained as a coach, the facilitator, uh, who is a, a wonderful coach who's been in practice for many decades, she said, your clients don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be in process. And I really took that to heart because we never arrive at perfection. We're always in process. So I really embrace that as my philosophy as a coach. And I think that my practice embodies that in the way that I write and share and draw from my own life as I'm talking about the themes that run through my practice. So this idea of the other side really, you know, came about when I was making a personal and professional transition. I mean, I was going through a divorce to my life and business partner, uh, which meant I had to reimagine my whole entire life and my business and my work and what I would do. And I moved into an apartment with a roommate for the first time in my life at age 36 um, because I had been married for a decade. So, you know, I didn't have a roommate during that time. <laughs> so I was given this book by Pema Chodron. I think that's how you say her name. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it, essentially, there was a quote in there that says we need to leave room for not knowing because when something that we qualify as bad or negative happens, we automatically assume that our lives are over and we imagine the worst, right? Our mind really does go to the darkest place. And for me, my mind immediately went to this place of, you know, I don't have anything to contribute. I don't have a voice. I don't even know if I can take care of myself. Where will I live? I mean, it was the very basic needs of a person that I was thinking about. And then I read this book and realized it's called When Things Fall Apart, by the way. I read the book and that quote stuck out to me. And I thought, you know what? I really need to make space for whatever is on the other side of this because it might be awesome. 
It might be something that allows me to tap into my voice, which has been here all along. It might be something that leads me to work that is even more meaningful and fulfilling than I could have imagined. It, it might lead to new love. It might lead to new relationships. It might lead to so many things. And so for me, when I'm working with clients who want to make a transition or they feel stuck, so often they have this picture of what they think awaits them on the other side, whether it's negative or positive. And what I try to do is really get them out of that mode where they can only see one possibility and help them begin to open up to all of the things that could await for them. And then talk about what of those things might align more with what you want and who you are and what you value. I think that as I take clients and grow my practice, the coaching is telling me what it wants. I practiced for a whole year with a one-page website and got clients through word of mouth and really, you know, built my confidence as a practitioner before I even created and launched a full-fledged website. And I think that that approach has really served me well in this season. In the past, I would have tried to figure out a big master plan at the beginning, launch things and be very rigid about the process and how things had to go so that I could get to particular outcomes. And now on the other side, right, of all of these transitions, I feel much more open to the process. So for me, it's more about a process that feels good. And I think that along the way, I've been able to really sense when things need to change. So, so for example, I was coaching for about a year. And then I thought, you know, I really am seeing some themes here with my clients. Um, I think there's some writing that I could do around this. And so I reached out to some outlets, 99U and Working Not Working, And I said, hey, I'd love to write for you about these kinds of things that I'm seeing in the creative world. And they said, sure. And then I did some writing, I did some coaching Um, all along the way. I'm being asked to speak places. So that gives me an opportunity to think through, you know, my line of inquiry with my work. And then I thought, you know what, I think I want to try to launch an online class and just see if people are into that. And so I did that this fall and I had 15 amazing students and it was a great beta test for this idea of, hey, can I launch something on my own and will people come and be part of it? I do have a lot of ambitions with my coaching practice and with writing and speaking. And so I'm trying to like listen to the work that I'm doing and you know what is it saying? Where does it need to go? And also what's resonating with people too? You know, where's the overlap of all of those things? When you're working with people, I know that you give them a lot of encouragement to pause, to look inward and assess, and to survey their opportunities before plunging ahead. And what I want to explore is the the scope of the ask that you bring to people. You uh, ask people to look at six different places, occupational, physical, social, intellectual, spiritual, and finally, emotional. This is, I'll say, this is a really daunting (laughs) list because it's so comprehensive. I mean, it's just, it's a huge ask, Tina, but it's also a really logical place to land if you're asking people to roll up their sleeves and really do the work. So I really don't believe that we can compartmentalize our lives. Well, we can compartmentalize things, but that's not sustainable. And at some point, you're going to feel the effects of doing that. So a lot of my clients come to me and want to talk about their career path, which is great. But we do also talk about these other aspects that influence their career. The six areas comes from a model that was created by Dr. Bill Hetler in the 70s or 80s. It's called the six dimensions of wellness. So I didn't create those, but I discovered the model and I thought this is really interesting and applicable. And I think it sums up all of the areas of our lives nicely. 
it's a very big ask. And if we're going to take a really broad view of our lives and look at these six areas, we can kind of see the details in each of them, but I don't think we can plunge into the details of all of them at once, right? So I think, again, looking at how our lives are seasonal, there might be a season where you're more focused on your emotional well-being or where you're more focused on career or your physical health. And I think that there's no such thing as balance. What we do is kind of juggle. It's an ebb and flow. So we have to choose which areas we might want to prioritize. And then what kinds of changes do you want to make, which can help us be more intentional and proactive about where we're spending our time and how we're investing our energy. Your coaching articles include a lot of tips and techniques and tactics. And I think those lists are really great because they help people who are stuck to find one thing that they could attack and make a difference on and, and get themselves unstuck. It's a really digestible approach. What kind of feedback do you get from the writing that sort of is most important or helpful to you? It's so important to me to make sure that people know when they're trying to make a change that they don't have to change everything at once. And we can become so adamant that we have to change our entire lives to see results. And so I really want to help people think about the small changes that they can make in their day to day. And often those are really practical things. Often those are things that we could do in 10 or 15 minutes. The course I launched in the fall had 30 days of exercises and each day included one 15 minute exercise. And of course you could spend more time on it if you wanted to. And many, many people did, but the whole point wasn't to perfect it. The point was to just be in the process for 15 minutes every day to have a check-in with yourself and nurture that area of your life. So I want to give people permission to make changes in small ways that add up over time that fit in with their life because we also can't change our entire routine and the demands of our lives, right? Many of us have work, we have partners, we have friends, we have families. We have a lot of obligations. So this idea of starting small where we're at, I think is really powerful. And the feedback I get from clients is, oh my gosh, I was looking at things from such a big picture view that I thought I had to change everything and it felt overwhelming. And now I feel like I have a place to start and I feel relieved. You recently quoted Anne Lamott on our incessant need for forward motion, which uh, she calls forward thrust. I want to read that quote right now. Forward thrust is the most central principle of American life. The necessity to improve your lot and status at any cost and to stay one step ahead of the abyss that may suddenly open at your heels. Unfortunately, forward thrust turns out not to be helpful in the search for your true place on earth. But crashing and burning can help us a lot. And so too can just running out of gas. I think there's just, there's just a world of permission in that quote. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. I only discovered that quote recently, but I think a lot about the transition I was going through when I was getting divorced and leaving the business I co-founded because I really felt pressure to let people know, here's what I'm doing next. You know, that forward thrust, what are you going to do? We really don't feel like we have permission to just sit with ourselves and reflect and think. We feel like we always have to be doing, doing, doing. And I thought, who am I without the doing? And I didn't know. And I had to, I had to stop and pause and think about that and ask a lot of you know, existential questions about 
my life and my work. So I partner with uh, Working Not Working. We do these virtual huddles where members from the creative community around the world are invited and they can sign up and we join a video chat on Zoom. And for an hour, we talk about a theme. And yesterday we talked about value and there were about 35 people from around the world on the call. And there were a couple people who were not from the U.S. and now live in the U.S. And they brought up the vast difference in culture around work and how Americans are so tied to their work and their identity is so tied to their work that they rarely have an identity or life outside of work. Everything is, how is work going? What are you doing for work? Where do you work? <laughs> and, I, and I thought that perspective, I've heard it before, but it, it was a reminder once again of how much our identities are wrapped up in our work and how much, uh, at least my experience of American culture, is based around doing rather than being. And I think that's something that we need to take a closer look at for ourselves, but it's really, really hard to step outside of the norm of having to continue to move forward, even at your own detriment, right? Even when you're burned out, even when you really need to take a break, you feel like you can't. I think it's really hard for people to maintain the kind of excellence and the kind of drive, the kind of push that their brains and our society tells us that they want to all the time. I mean, I know that I had the experience mm-hmm. for many years where uh, I would be pushing and pushing, and then once a year I would come down with like this thing I called the work flu, where my body would just say, mm-hmm. it's time for you to stop. And I would be forced to take that vacation that I should have really taken and, in fact, wound up spending a week in bed because I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And when that was pointed out to me at one point by, interestingly yeah. enough, a, a career coach, I really reframed uh, the way I looked at it. So instead of thinking of it as I had failed and I had screwed up and I'd let this work flu happen to me again, uh, I recognized that, oh, there actually are signs that my body gives me that say, hey, pay attention. You're not going to get what you want in life because you're not being as effective in taking care of yourself. I have definitely experienced the, I've never termed it work flu, but oh my gosh, that resonates. I've Definitely experienced that in the past. And there was a tendency to just push past whatever your body was telling you. And I don't do that anymore. And I honestly can't remember the last time I was sick, knock on wood. And I think now it's because I pay more attention to my body. And when my body starts feeling tired and saying, hey, you know what, you need to take a break, or I'm feeling mentally or emotionally exhausted. And my mind is like, hey, you know, we really can't do any more work today. I give myself permission and I just readjust my calendar. And you know what? If I need to extend deadlines, I do. And and the world has not ended. What's so great is that I feel empowered because I'm taking care of myself rather than feeling like a victim because I'm trying to meet all of these expectations and I'm feeling out of control. I feel like I've taken control back of my calendar and how I care for myself. And you're right. You know, I loved what you said about the reason we can do the work is because of who we are. And if we don't take care of who we are, and if we don't take care of our being, then we can't we can't do the doing. Eventually we run out of gas. You recently did some work focusing on the ways that creative couples can support each other. What did you learn from doing that work? And what part of that do you see taking into your general coaching practice? Yeah, so I wrote an article for 99U and I interviewed five couples about how they support one another as they're both navigating these creative career paths, which again are full of ambiguity and not knowing and um, uncertainty. And 
it was really interesting. Um, I wish I had, you know, there's so much knowledge I wish I would have had when I was previously working with my partner. I am not currently, nor will I probably ever work with a partner again, which is something that's it's my own revelation of, you know, what I need in terms of my work and my identity. But I loved the responses from these couples. It was everything from, you know, literally supporting each other financially, taking turns, letting each other work toward their dreams. So one couple was, you know, when they met, one of them was in debt, it was taxes and, and credit card debt. And then that person had some great opportunities and was able to pay off that debt and is now supporting the other person who is building their career as a freelance journalist and writer, which as we know is, it takes a lot to really make it and support yourself financially in that world. And they talk together about how lucky they are to be able to pursue these paths because not everyone has the opportunity. And I think their support of one another allows them to do that. Another couple talked about how you have to be in the present and acknowledge the reality of what is, but you have to hold the hope, the hope you have for the future in your other hand. So it's like one hand is reality. This is really happening. This is stressful. The other hand is, but we're going to get through this. We have this long-term vision and we have hope that things will get better because we know that things change from moment to moment and day to day. And I loved how they were able to hold these two things that can sometimes seem contradictory in their hands and have this, you know, bigger vision of where they were going as a couple beyond just the moment they were in, even if they were feeling discouraged. The duality that you're describing there of being really present to what's going on and what's happening in our lives right now, and then also welcoming mm -hmm. and holding on to a long-term vision and a long-term future. You know, the literal practice of being in two minds is, is really valuable. And I think, um, having partnerships with people who are in for the long haul, whether they're, you know, people that you're in a, a romantic relationship with or founder partners mm -hmm. who we have a lot of them listening to us here on Ask. I, mean, I just think that's an incredibly valuable way to um, build a relationship is recognize that as something that's got to be right up on top and on the surface, that duality of thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one other thing I want to mention, this is really important. And this is something that I did not do previously because I threw everything into one basket, but another couple talked about this dance between being together and working on their studio, which they co-founded and having alone time for their individual practices. And so she takes over their studio sometimes and he has a basement workshop and they go and they do their own things and they give each other privacy and let each other be their own individuals. And I thought that Maybe it seems so simple, but I think it's such a basic need for all of us, even when we're in a business partnership or a romantic relationship, we need to have a sense of our own identity as an individual so that we feel like we have something to contribute to the other person. And so I thought that was really important and profound. And I just wanted to mention that. Let's wrap by talking about the future. You recently encouraged people to run to the roar your future will come to you anyway. I just love that encouragement. Well, I think that we can control very, very little. And I really do believe that we're all here for a purpose. We're all here to contribute something. And sometimes we get off track and we might be out of alignment with that purpose. But I do believe that you can call it the universe. You can call it God, you can call it whatever makes sense for you. But I believe that 
we will continue to have opportunities to fulfill that purpose for why we're here. So sometimes it takes a few tries to see it. Sometimes it takes getting off track and, and circling back around. But I don't believe that it's ever too late to figure it out. And I think that you know running to the roar means that sometimes you have to walk toward things that are really scary. And often those things that are scary are things that are scary because we just don't know what's on the other side. So it's not about walking towards something that's scary just to prove that you're tough or brave. It's often the thing that's scary is the thing we really want. And we don't want to walk toward it because we're afraid that if we do, we'll be disappointed or we'll fail or people will reject us. So I think that throughout our lives, we'll have opportunities to run toward the things that we truly want to do and that are meaningful to us. You know, that doesn't have to be a really big altruistic purpose, right? We all fulfill different roles in our lives. Like your purpose could be to parent your children. Your purpose could be to start a small business in your community. Your purpose could be to connect people. Your purpose could be to grow and share insights that you're having about yourself as a human being, which apply to, you know, the broader humanity. It can be big, it can be small. So I think that that's important to recognize. And then also, I think that we all want to find the thing that's ours when we're in our 20s. And no one knows. We have no idea in our 20s. Like We're still just learning how to be in the world and we're discovering ourselves. And so I think it takes a really long time to figure out what your contribution is. And also, I think it's a lifetime of work. You know, there's something that I love so much that you keep bringing up and putting it in front of us that there's this, there's just this fundamentally optimistic prism that you have throughout all of your work. And it's absolutely not a Pollyannish approach. It's just really um, an idea that there's a, a good chance that tomorrow will be better for today. And I think that that kind of acceptance that the, the future uh, is going to show up and let's find a way to have um, a resolve with it mm -hmm. and an acceptance with it mm -hmm. is just a really constructive message. I, I think especially for people living in, you know, what can only be described as really turbulent times right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that how we live day to day, moment to moment, and how we're feeling in those small moments, that's what makes up a life. It's not this idea of, oh, when I get here, I'll be happier. When I get to this point, I'll be happy. As one of my mentors calls it destination disease. So we don't allow ourselves to be happy. We don't give ourselves permission to really like, lean into the things that we want until we reach you know XYZ milestone. So I love this idea of whatever's happening to us day to day in the moment, how can we be present with that and accept that? And how can we, you know, tell ourselves a story that is going to help us move forward and not to be again, yeah, as you use the term Pollyanna-ish, not to think, oh, it's fine. It'll, it'll all work out because often it, it doesn't work out and there's no rhyme or reason behind that. But every day is a new opportunity to, you know, wake up and do it all over again and, and just be in it and it can be messy and that's okay. That's just life. Tina S. Maker, thanks for being with us on Ask. Yes, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. You can find Tina at tinasmaker.com on Instagram, where she has a truly excellent feed, and her columns appear at 99U and Working Not Working. This has been another episode of Ask. Say hey at Start By Asking on Twitter and Instagram, and please share this with the people that you appreciate. You know, your time is your most valuable commodity, and we really appreciate you sharing some of it with us today. See you again sometime soon.